Hey, podcast family, let's start with a quick question. If I was to ask you what's the most common side effect after a placement of a progesterone-releasing IUS, an intrauterine system, what would you say? I think most of us would answer the same way, don't you? I think most of us would say it's got to be the change in bleeding patterns, that weird interval until the uterus really becomes atrophic that's marked by breakthrough bleed or just unpredictable bleeding, even spotting that can be distressful to some patients. But thankfully, it goes away and women enter the interval of amenorrhea. But even that, if they want regular and predictable bleeding, that absence of a cycle in some women is actually distressing. That's why it's important to prepare them for that before we place the intrauterine system. And I think we do a pretty good job of that because abnormal bleeding is just so drilled into our head to prepare them for it because it can prevent callbacks. It can prevent the need for other medications to help stem the bleed and it can help prevent just removal. But what about another side effect that is often taken for granted but can be equally distressing to these patients? Well, we're going to cover that in this episode. In this episode, we're going to cover a brand new, soon-to-be-released publication. It's not even out yet, and we're taping this in the third week of April, but it's coming out soon. This is coming out of obstetrics and gynecology under the section Clinical Conundrums, and it has to do with progestin-releasing intrauterine systems and acne. Now, I know what you're thinking. Acne, really? I mean, is that a big deal? Well, it depends on your patient. But for a lot of women, yeah, it's really distressing. So let's cover the rationale between that and its removal and how to prepare patients better for this common side effect. It's not uncommon so that we can take better care of our patients and give them truly informed consent when they come in asking for Mirena, Liletta, Kylina, Skyla, or whatever your flavor of progestin-releasing intrauterine system is. Ready? Let's take a look at this clinical conundrum right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Now, before I get into this issue of progesterone-releasing IUSs and acne, we got to clear up that whole issue right there. What issue? Well, that issue of IUSs, the terminology, because it's actually incorrect to call any progesterone-releasing system an IUD. Like, wait, I know what you're thinking. Look, we just call it an IUD. It is what it is. It's the same thing. But technically, it's not. And to be accurate and to have good documentation, we really need to know what we're talking about. Remember that an intrauterine device, according to the FDA, means a mechanical method, something that's non-hormonal. So technically, right now, there's only one IUD, and that's the copper T, that's Paragard. So if you call the progestin-releasing intrauterine system an IUD, well, technically, it's not correct. Because those are intrauterine delivery systems. They're drug delivery systems. So if they have a medication in it, whether it's Mirena, Kylina, Skyla, Liletta, it doesn't matter. That's not an IUD. It's called an IUS, an intrauterine drug system. All right. Semantics, whatever. Let's keep going. 
all to say in this new document that's coming out, this is how pervasive this switch of terms is, right? IUD and IUS. Oh, and I couldn't resist myself. I had to send a, a note to the editor because it's one of my pet peeves because in this new release that's coming out, again, in obstetrics and gynecology, they call the progesterone releasing intrauterine system an IUD. Oh, it drives me crazy. Pet peeve. I know I'm very type A, but the terminology is not right. Oh. So yes, I wrote a letter to the editor. I can't stand myself sometimes. Oh, by the way, starting in May of 2022, I'm very excited. I'm going to be on a new ACOG committee. Super excited, right? Great, great. However, I think my type A nature, which can be greatly underestimated by some, I hope it doesn't irritate somebody. I hope I don't get kicked off. All right. Anyway, I got to get back to the show. Well, whether you use the IUD or the IUSs, the truth is they're just really effective. These long-acting reversible contraceptions have increased in utilization because they take away the user error, and that's very attractive for a lot of people. I mean, why wouldn't it be? And the majority of patients report being content with their IUDs or their IUSs as a contraceptive method. However, here's what's been published, and here's the first clinical pearl. The amount of information that's provided by us as healthcare providers regarding the potential of side effects or adverse effects at that first insertion visit before it's actually placed strongly correlates with their ultimate user satisfaction. In other words, the more that we can prepare them for things before we place it, hey, be on the lookout for this. Uh, If this happens, it's all right. Uh, Watch for this with the strings. The more that we educate them, then the happier they're going to be. And that actually translates to continuation rates. Now, as we stated before, I think it's intuitive for clinicians to focus on risks of irregular vaginal bleeding or even amenorrhea after the IUS is used. But we tend to focus less on less, quote, severe, end quote, side effects like acne. But it may not be severe to us, but it can be very severe, or at least it feels severe to the patient. For some patients, acne can be debilitating, influencing quality of life measures, including interpersonal relationships, mood, and work or school performance. This unique psychosocial effect of acne can vary immensely from patient to patient, and that's why we have to prepare them as we place this. And I also have this discussion. By the way, this isn't just for the progesterone IUSs. It's any progesterone-only method, including the implant, including Nexplanon. All progestin-only methods of contraception have been associated with acne development. No randomized controlled trials have directly evaluated the effect of hormonal IUSs on acne, but observational studies have shown that anywhere from 9% to 35% of patients with a newly inserted levonorgestrel intrauterine system have reported acne worsening as an adverse effect. Do we all get that? From 9% to 35%. I mean, that's a third. After irregular vaginal bleeding, and that's a clinical pearl, acne was found to be the second most common non-expulsion-related adverse event that's been reported in patients who have been seeking to remove their IUS. So again, this is not something that's minor. It's the number two reason why patients can ask for removal. By the way, this is not just for those that are initiating birth control with a progestin-only method. And it can happen for those that have been on another form of birth control. For example, when switching from oral contraceptive pills to a progestin-only method, it's been very well documented that patients who swap for a progestin-only method have a higher risk of clinical encounters coded for acne up to the following year from the initial switch. 
And yet another clinical pearl. This also is age-specific. It should be noticed that younger patients, those between the ages of 16 to 35, are slightly more likely to report new or worsening acne compared with older patients. Those are defined as between 36 and 45 years of age. So that's something to make as an age-appropriate informed consent before these progestin-only methods are chosen. Now, depending on the severity of acne, treatment approaches include topical medications, systemic therapies, or a combination of both. Topical interventions include a combination of benzoyl peroxide, a topical retinoid, and a topical antibiotic to broadly target the complex pathogenesis of acne. Now, I got to tell you what I do, just as as an aside, and this is just what I do. It's not necessarily what's published. But if I place a Nexplanon or a progesterone-releasing IUS in someone, I tell them, look, on the way home, on the way back to your dorm in my patient population, stop by a local pharmacy and pick up some benzoyl peroxide and get on on top of that, get ahead of that. But you got to remember that benzoyl peroxide, depending on what concentration you get, should only be once or a max twice a day because it can be really drying. And if they have very fair skin, be careful with benzoyl peroxide because it can be irritating. So remember, there's things that we can do to try to to stem down, try to reduce, try to mitigate the risks of acne. But even some of those other agents, you know, don't come without some kind of side effect. And topical dryness with a benzoyl peroxide product is one of those issues. For acne that's refractory to topical therapy, treatment with tetracycline antibiotics or spironolactone can be indicated. Off-label use of spironolactone has gained popularity as an approach to reduce long courses of antibiotics and to better target the androgenic component of acne in females.